Section 32 of Criminal Investigation, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Maxwell. Criminal Investigation, a Practical Handbook for Magistrates, Police Officers, and Lawyers, Volume 3, by Hans Gross. Translated by John Adam and John Collier Adam. Chapter 14, Arson, Section 1, General. The importance of the crime of arson is as great as the difficulties which beset the investigating officer in detecting it. Naturally, he will search for traces of the cause of ignition and attempt to establish the place of outbreak of the fire. But in the majority of cases, this will be no simple matter. Crimes of this kind are usually carried out so as to leave few, if any, direct clues, and proof of criminality is far from easy to establish by circumstantial evidence. As a rule, the culprit has approached the house on a stormy night, lit a match, and fired some inflammable portion of the edifice. The problem is still more difficult in the numerous cases where the criminal foresees that suspicion will fasten upon himself for some reason such as enmity or jealousy, and therefore takes the trouble of getting up an alibi in advance. So also is it in the case of the landlord himself, who, overwhelmed in debt, fires his own premises for the sake of the insurances. In these various cases, the incendiary will do all in his power to prove that at the time of conflagration, he was far enough away to make it impossible for the fire to be his work. To this end, he endeavors to start the fire after the lapse of a certain time, and, unfortunately, the means at his disposal are many. Some are simple, others very ingenious. The most usual method is to light a candle, the bottom of which rests upon some hay or other inflammable substance. Before the candle has burnt down to the hay, the criminal has time to get well away and can prove that at the time of the outbreak he was, in the presence and to the knowledge of numerous witnesses, drinking in a distant house of refreshment, buying cattle at a market, or attending a ceremony. Another common method is to join together some strips of tinder to form a train of considerable length upon the floor, one end being inserted in a box of matches surrounded with inflammable material, and the other set fire to. If the tinder has been well impregnated with a solution of saltpeter, its extinction is practically impossible by natural means. Such a solution is also employed to render any flaxen or hempen thread almost inextinguishable. An intelligent criminal makes ready use of a clock which raises a hammer at any desired moment. He arranges so that the hammer strikes some explosive substance, which in turn sets fire to some matches. If need be, an ordinary alarm clock suffices, especially one which lights itself. These latter are furnished with a spring, to the end of which a wax match is fixed. The spring is stretched and held by a catch. At the desired moment, the mechanism moves the catch, and the spring is released, carrying with it the match, the head of which rubs along a rough surface and catches fire. The convenience of this arrangement to the sleepy head in the morning is in proportion to its danger from the point of view of house firing, for its employment requires little intelligence or skill. We give two illustrations of the sort of infernal machines that may be seen in considerable numbers at New Scotland Yard, London. Figure 152 shows one dating about 1885 in which a little knife is set in motion by clockwork. This knife cuts a stretched-out cord, and this sets free a spring that strikes a lucifer capsule. A particularly dangerous and common method in America is to utilize an ordinary electrical bell. 
the sounding part of the bell is replaced by a thin balloon-shaped glass filled with sulfuric acid the hammer strikes on the glass and breaks it the sulfuric acid runs into a vessel placed beneath and filled with a mixture of for example chloric acid and sugar this produces fire that can easily be converted into a conflagration thus highly insured warehouses can be fired in the night time by an accomplice or even an innocent party ringing the bell the owner being far away at the time in the case of the second infernal machine figure one fifty three the lid must be opened first this puts the clockwork in the smaller division in motion and at once ignites the gunpowder or dynamite in the larger division so that the person who opens the lid is killed and the building blown up in this connection a burning glass is frequently used in some parts there exists a popular belief that the possession of a burning glass is forbidden by law solely by reason of the fires it may bring about in such a case the glass is fixed on a part of the roof where the sun strikes at a particular time and is adjusted so as to direct its rays on some sulphur pitch matches straw etc if the glass has been placed so as to receive the sun's rays at say eight a m the criminal can obtain twenty-four hours start or even longer if the following days happen to be cloudy in an old record the author came across an account of a fire caused by a burning glass a miller's boy had a grudge against a rich peasant whose house was situated opposite the mill the youth had left his situation at the mill and nine months later the peasant house was burnt to the ground at midday when everyone was in the fields it was suspected that this boy had arranged a burning glass on the roof of the mill for the purpose of setting fire to the house opposite he must have chosen for the purpose the upper part of the granary which no one ever visited apparently with the help of a cord he stretched a strong iron spring in front of a skylight and stuck a ring of pitch round the end of it below the cord he then placed some combustibles and arranged a burning glass so as to be struck by the sun's rays at a particular time of year and at a particular hour everything ready he had waited till that time of year had gone by then placed the glass in position and left his situation nine months later the sun again came round struck the burning glass and ignited the fuel this set fire to the pitch and cord and the latter breaking released the spring which projected the burning pitch through the skylight on to the thatched roof of the house opposite which thus took fire and was burnt to the ground the thing is not impossible and demonstrates how with a little skill and ingenuity most extraordinary things may take place in the majority of cases the action of the investigating officer is fettered by the fact that the corpus delecti is itself destroyed in the fire but not always thus on one occasion a farmer desiring to set fire to his large homestead for the sake of the insurances employed the ribbon of tinder above mentioned to make certain he arranged two trains in two different parts of the building as far distant from each other as possible one of the two acted but the other failed the tinder having gone out at one of the places where it had been sewn together the portion of the house containing this ladder was saved and the half-burnt train discovered this is the case where the microscope established the culpability of the farmer by proving the thread with which the strips of tinder were sewn together to be from the same piece as that employed by him in mending his fur cap when everything is consumed it must not be forgotten to investigate whether the person suspected has in his possession or has procured articles which may be employed as fire raisers candle tinder alarm clocks burning glass etc proportionately speaking it may be stated that few fires originate in burglaries 
and this must be borne in mind. The many cases of fire caused by carelessness, stupidity, children, lightning, and spontaneous combustion do not concern us here, but cases in which fires have been brought about from peculiar motives require notice. We must not be deceived regarding the many fires caused by young persons of undeveloped intelligence for which no normal explanation can be given. The author has himself had to deal with a case in which a boy of 13, remarkably well-developed both in mind and body, four times in succession started a fire, in order, as he himself confessed, to see the new fire brigade turn out. A similar case was dealt with a short time ago in Laban Oberstellermark, in which a young man of bad repute caused seven fires, one after the other, three of which were attended with sad results, for the simple reason that he, as a member of the volunteer fire brigade, had thereby an opportunity to distinguish himself by showing promptitude, courage, and ability. An astonishing number of fires are caused by half-grown-up girls who suffer from an excess of homesickness and who endeavor by strong and acute excitement to relieve chronic nerve irritation. Section 2. Quasi-Spontaneous Combustion The question of spontaneous combustion is of great importance to the investigating officer, for on the one hand it may bring about the gravest disasters, and on the other it is often the origin of fires which seem to have been lit only by the hand of a criminal. Combustion, not accurately speaking spontaneous, may be distinguished in a general way from spontaneous combustion properly so called. The former takes place through the fortuitous combustion of diverse substances, of which no one can be considered individually as dangerous. The latter occurs when a body catches fire by virtue of its nature and without the intervention of any other body whatever. A. Through physical causes. Such causes are very numerous, and we all know how a carafe of water has acted as a burning glass and set fire to articles resting behind it, such as tablecloths, curtains, paper, garments. The same effect has also been produced by photographic lenses, which is one of the reasons why they are, as a rule, kept covered up. Metal plates, dishes, metal reflectors, etc. have also acted in this way by concentrating the rays of the sun at one particular spot. To this category belong the numerous cases to be found in the daily papers. Thus, a carpenter was nailing a plank in a jute factory. The blow missed and the nail was projected into the machinery where it caused a spark which set fire to the jute. From New York, we hear of a case in which a fire was caused by a fire engine. A small house was burning, the steamers were at work, and a jet of water penetrated a room of a neighboring house where some lime and other inflammable materials were stored. The lime caught fire, and so the house was burned. When Cleveland was elected President of the United States, one of his partisans arranged a set piece of fireworks in front of the house. A squib, describing a curve, fell down the chimney of a neighboring cotton mill to the floor, where it exploded and set fire to the building. At Verona, in a train in motion, the axle of a carriage became heated and set fire to the grease. At the moment when the train was passing the points, this particular carriage became derailed and was precipitated with the flaming axle into a huge oil reservoir. A violent conflagration ensued, which destroyed a neighboring factory. Here is an account given by a workman who witnessed it of the manner in which a fire broke out one day in a spinning mill. A flying beetle coming through an open window carried off a thread of flax in its flight. The insect passed close to a gas burner. 
the thread took fire and fell upon a heap of flax, which immediately burned up. In this class of cases may also be cited the phenomena observed by Dr. Hapke, whose work upon spontaneous combustion cannot be too highly recommended as a book to be studied by every investigating officer. He discovered that a spark might remain for weeks in damp cotton and then set fire to it. It is also noteworthy that decomposed dynamite may explode on a very slight shock, as for instance the closing of a door. All such cases should teach the investigating officer not immediately to jump to the conclusion that it is a case of arson solely because a conflagration cannot at first be satisfactorily accounted for. B. From Chemical Causes This class of combustion is brought about by the contact of certain substances engendering heat and fire. It rarely happens that combustion of this description is fortuitous, but it may be a terrible weapon in the hands of a criminal. For this reason, it would be ill-advised on our part to discuss it in detail. The investigating officer who desires to be well instructed in the subject had better be informed thereon by an expert. But a few well-known methods may be mentioned as their use is already fairly common and well-known to criminals. For example, we have liquid fire, a solution the method of preparation of which is given in every chemistry book. If a piece of blotting paper be dipped in this solution and then waved about, the liquid evaporates and the remaining particles of phosphorus contained therein spontaneously catch fire from contact with the air. This solution appears to have been frequently employed by the Finians and also was used to charge bombs during the American War of Independence. It is all the more dangerous in that risk remains even after the fire has been extinguished since the phosphorus may burst into flames again at any moment. Metallic potassium also takes fire on contact with water and is sometimes made use of, whereas a mixture of chloride of sulfur with the liquid fire above mentioned catches fire on contact with liquid ammonia. Numerous other cases of fire similarly produced might be cited. For example, certain corrosive acids produce fire on contact with certain substances. Suppose a flask filled with such an acid corked and suspended mouth downwards above one of these inflammable substances. The acid, after eating away the cork, will drop upon the substance and ignite it. Section 3. Spontaneous Combustion Proper The question of spontaneous combustion, properly so called, has been much discussed. It is now generally accepted that all bodies are susceptible of change from the solid to the gaseous state, while in the case of some the transformation takes place only at a very high temperature. With others, ignition may occur at quite ordinary temperatures and thus cause disastrous conflagrations. Boyle has called such bodies forphoric, and Homburg-Botger and others have drawn up long lists of substances possessing this property. From our point of view, the important matter is to know the particular substances in everyday use possessing this property of spontaneous combustion. This list will include all products of textile plants, hemp, flax, cotton, and tissues, and thread, ropes, cords, etc. made therefrom but this only when these substances have been treated more or less heavily with oil, especially linseed oil. The phenomenon also happens with fine carbon, especially coal dust, particularly when the latter is rich in sulfur. Whether sulfur itself can cause spontaneous combustion is still a disputed point. Cases of spontaneous combustion are known to have occurred in turf, peat, wheat, guano, powdered bones, torrefied grain, sponges, wood shavings, etc. 
Metal filings have even been known when dampened with oil to become red hot. Zinc dust, when wetted, is specially prone to catch fire. In recent years, benzene, now so much in demand, has been a considerable source of danger. The vapor of benzene, when mixed with atmospheric air, produces an explosive gas igniting at ordinary temperature of a room. Terrible accidents by burning have been thus caused. Numerous cases of spontaneous combustion are cited by Collis Barry, principally in Bombay. Of 26 cases given by him, the majority were due to oil in contact with cotton, cotton waste, rags, flax, jute, hemp, or sawdust. Lamp black and coal occurred in five cases. Other cases show that woody fiber impregnated with turpentine, a mixture of resin, turpentine, and tar, damp raw cotton, damp grass, damp grain, dry silk, dry wool, damp hay, lime, bengal matches, and phosphorus may all spontaneously ignite. A peculiar case is quoted by him at some length. A yellow paper lampshade exploded, though nowhere near a flame. On examination, it was found that the paper of which the shade was made contained chromate of lead as a coloring matter. A ready method of recognizing such dangerous paper is given by Dr. A. Dupree in a letter to the Times, May 23, 1894. The paper is set fire to and the flame then blown out. In the case of ordinary paper, it will be found that the glow along the burnt edge is very soon extinguished, whereas in the case of these chromate papers, it continues until the whole is consumed, as is the case with ordinary touch paper. I find that, besides the yellow paper, pale green paper also contains chromate of lead, and would, no doubt, be equally dangerous, and possibly there are papers of other colors containing the same material. It has already been mentioned that paper which has been quite recently burned but not completely consumed may sometimes recommence to burn on coming in contact with the open air. Care must therefore be taken after a fire before opening a safe which has been among the flames to make sure that the interior is quite cold. Otherwise, papers of value enclosed therein and only half consumed may blaze up beautifully when the safe is opened. It may be noted here that the dust of grain, jute, and hemp may catch fire on a person entering with a light into a place where such substances are stored or being worked up. We cannot leave the subject of spontaneous combustion without a few remarks upon what is called preternatural combustibility. Cases have been recorded in which the human body has exhibited unwanted inflammability and burnt away rapidly, the combustion being accompanied by the presence of much inflammable gas and the production of heavy gray soot and an objectionable odor. Charles Dickens, as everyone knows, made use of this alleged property of the human body in Bleak House, and there mentioned the Italian case of the Countess Carnelli Baudi, who was accustomed to bathe in camphorated spirits. One morning a servant entered the room and found a heap of ashes and the remains of her mistress on the floor, about four feet from the bed. The legs and arms were unburned, and the head lay between the legs, the brain and back of the skull having been consumed by fire. There was a lamp on the floor containing no oil and covered with ashes, and the wicks of two candles on the table were unconsumed, the tallow having melted. The bed was unburned, but everything in the room was covered with moist soot. 
Numerous other cases have occurred from time to time in which death by spontaneous combustion is alleged to have taken place, but day to day the possibility is not allowed by the majority of medical experts. This subject should be approached by criminal investigators with the greatest caution. Indeed, as is pointed out by Taylor, such a defense as spontaneous combustion might afford would, if admitted, prove most convenient to assassins. After the commission of a murder, it would be the easiest thing in the world for the criminal to burn the body and ascribe the charged remains to spontaneous combustion. The question of the spontaneous combustion of the gases of the body may also be very embarrassing to an investigating officer. This combustion used to be very well known to the common people, who with its help tried to explain away numerous incidents of crime. They hastened to assert the victim to be a drunkard, that the gases of the spirits he had drunk had taken fire, and that he had perished miserably. For a long time such phenomena were accepted, until the usual reaction took place and their possibility was denied altogether. Consequently, many cases, otherwise inexplicable, were unexplained or explained wrongly. The existence of inflammable gases in the stomach has been proved by medical men such as Drs. Francois, Kuhn, Popoff, Scott Orr, Beetson, Schultz, Arnold, etc. But it may generally be admitted that only gases escaping from the body by belching or otherwise can explode at a flame. Slight burns at the mouth and burning of the beard or mustache are all that observation has revealed in the majority of cases, but no doubt serious burns are possible. Beetson records a case where a man, while blowing out a match, set fire to his breath, the accompanying report of the explosion being loud enough to waken his wife. End of section 32